This is David's Game Show. Well, David, darling, it's wonderful to be back here on your show. Really? You never said that before. I think I have. Never. Never, ever, ever. But I do have to take you to task on something that... Again, that's all you ever do. What? Isn't taking me to task like your hobby? No, it's my job. Well, it was my hobby, but I was lucky enough to be, you know, one of those people that turned their hobby into their job. So it's my job. And I'm taking you to task on something. Again, something old, something new, something blue, something borrowed, what? Your show, right? It's not a game show. I've talked about this a hundred times. You said you would think about another name and you never have. So that was probably a lie. You just keep calling it a game show and there's there's no game show on it. It's confusing. Well, it's a game show. No, it isn't. Yeah, it's a show about games. It's a game show. Like if it was a show about books, it'd be a book show. Well, this is a game show. That doesn't make much sense. Look, what I'm going to do is turn it into a game show and see what you think. Have you got contestants? Have you got uh, like a, a format? Have you got um, music? I have one of those things. I'm going to verse you against Uncle Craig and we'll see who the winner is just as like a demo show and you can tell me if you like it. Well, I don't like it. It's not a, That's actually confusing to make a game show a game show. It's a show about games. It is not a game show. It, it shouldn't be a game show. If you turn the game show into a game show, that's just going to confuse people, which is what you don't want to do. You just said that. You're wrong. I didn't even follow that. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Hello, hello, and welcome to episode six of David's Game Show. You're going to find out this is a great show. We talk about two games in the review section, Cascadia and Scout. Wow. And in my topic section, topic of the week, you're going to be amazed to hear 15 games counted down, my favorite Spiel des Jahres winners. So you're either like falling asleep or getting really excited, and I hope it's the former. So what we're going to do, oh, also, there's a little game show in here. I do some poetry for you. Um, question and answer time. There's real questions from real people. Please enjoy episode six of David's Game Show, which isn't a game show I know. Get over it. Hey ho, hey ho listeners and friends and well-wishers and uh, enemies and everyone, sea urchins, all of you who are listening to this or watching it if you're actually in the room now because uh, that's the only way you could watch it and I don't see anyone else in the room now um, so it's just me so I don't know how you're doing that but if it is you watching me, welcome. Um, welcome to the review part of the show. I'm going to talk about Cascadia and Scout. I'm going to do two reviews in one because they're little games. So I thought, you know, let's give the crowd bonus content. Um, so I'll just talk about both. But why these two? Well, as I talked about, I think it was last episode, maybe it was the one before, 
you, you'll figure it out. But I talked about the games that have been nominated for this year's Game of the Year award in Germany. The Spiel des Jahres and Cascadia and Scout were both nominated. The third nominee, Top 10, isn't in English yet, but it, from the videos I've watched, it looks extremely fun. And you know what? That could become my favourite of the three. But uh, it, it was funny. When the nominees came out, everyone was like, oh, Cascadia's going to win that, but I love Scout. But when I say everyone, I mean a few people. But everyone said, oh, I do love Cascadia, and but Scout's great. But top 10? And now since some reviewers have started doing it, it's like, actually... I think top 10 looks the best that these people are saying. And it's like, yeah, we'll trust the judges, man, or woman or anyone. But, like, that's what they don't do, didn't. I don't know. That's just something I felt was in forums or something. So um, if you're here listening, welcome. Let's talk about these games. So I'm going to start with Cascadia. Uh, Cascadia is designed by Randy Flynn. Here, it, it, well, in English, it's put out by AEG slash Flat Out Games. Literally, they slashed them or something. I don't know. They've joined up. They're merged. They help each other out. Um, in Germany, I think it's Cosmos, and that's the version that got nominated. But they're the same game, just different language on the box and that. But So it's a game set in Cascadia, which I'd never heard of, but apparently it's in somewhere like Northwest. North America, maybe, like where the Canada meets the USA, but like in the west of that connection, I think. Like, is that Seattle? So, like in Seattle, that's Cascadia, I think. And it's a place where there's animals and there's landscapes. And basically, <laughs> I, should, I should write the theme blurb of things. But um, so there's animals and landscapes, right? This is a very simple game where on your turn you have four things to choose from. They're, they're pairs of things, actually. You, you've got to take a pair combo of a hex tile, hexagonal-shaped tile, and a disc with an animal on it. There's like five different animals. And, and you take those two things. You have to take both. Um, and then you put the hex tile, which shows one or two landscapes on it. There's a few different ones. And you put it next to tiles you've already got. You start with one triple-sized one. And uh, you're trying to make connected land types, biomasses. But if you don't, it's not a negative thing, but you'll score better if they connect. But on those hex tiles, there's one, two, or three symbols saying which type of animal can go on that tile. So it, you also took a, an animal disc when you took that hexagonal tile, right? So you take that animal and you can put it on the tile you just took or on another one that doesn't have an animal yet because each hex can only take one animal. And what you're trying to do is get the biggest uh, land type groups connected possible over the course of your game which will be 20 turns by the way or and also you're trying to score your animals so you're trying to do two different levels of things at the same time you're trying to connect land if possible and you're trying to make animals be in certain spots if possible um, to know what to do there's different cards that are put out at the start of the game that show uh, how you'll score so um, there's one for each animal in each game. So you'll be scoring foxes one way, bears one way, eagles one way, elk one way, and there's another one, fish one way. 
uh, and these cards determine how that works. Now there's, I think, five different cards for each animal type. So you can really mix and match how these animals are going to score. But basically foxes always in each game want to be next to different animals. Bears want to be in groups. I guess they're scared. Um, eagles want to be alone. Uh, fish want to be in one connected chain. And what's the other thing? Elk want to be in groups or lines, depending on the cards you take. So in the basic, well, in the game, the rule book suggests you do first, which is all the scoring cards with a little letter A on them. You'll score well if your salmon, your fish are in one connected group, you know, chain. The longer, the better. Elk have to be in one straight line across your landscape. Eagles have to be apart from other eagles. Bears have to be in pairs. And foxes get more points for the more animals they're not touching, that they are touching or are adjacent to. I guess they're going to eat them all up. They like a square meal. But um, then you can each, in each subsequent game, mix and match those cards out. But basically they're, they're similar but different enough that if you play it uh, multiple times, your brain will have to do a bit of a rewiring thing to figure itself out, which is fun. Um, it's that simple. When the tiles run out, it's the end of the game and everyone will have had 20 turns and you just score all your animals. You score, um, you get a point for each say mountain in your mountain area. That's the biggest. And then the person that had the biggest of each terrain type group, um, also gets bonus points and that's it. Except for one thing, there are acorns in the, I think they're acorns. They're either acorns or, um, what's the other thing? Pine cones. I think they're pine cones. I said, right. They're pine cones. Some tiles have a pine cone symbol on them, and when you put an animal on them, you get a pine cone. And what that does is it lets you either um, take a hex tile and animal that are not in a pair, which is fun, when you take a tile and pair combo of animal pair tile combo, you can mix it up. You can also uh, use them to take away the, any animals you want that have been put out of the bag and put four new ones out. Maybe you don't like the animals that are out there. You should love all animals, but I'm not you. Um, but if you keep those till the end of the game or you have any left over there, a point each. Um, there was something else I forgot to say. What was that? Um, something about the acorns. Oh, yeah. No, no. At the start of your turn, if there are three animals, I forgot to say, this doesn't really matter. Three animals of one type, you can have them go back in the bag. Uh, and have new ones drawn. But if there are four of the same animal out, you've got to sweep them away. There was a dust storm or something. Um, I got to say, it's a pretty, it's a very enjoyable game for me. It's very um, smooth and simple. It's very easy to understand what you've got to do. It can be quite brain burning for some people, I think, because they've got to manage five different ways of scoring at once. But at the end of the day, it's a very light game, very smooth playing game. And just what the Spiel des Jahres is really all about, except um, it's it's the first time... Oh, I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, oh, I didn't say the arts by Beth Sobel. It's very nice too. And I love the components here because the wooden discs with the animals on them, they've basically put stickers on these discs the factory has, wherever it is. And um, but they're not like you can't peel them off again, like with some heat treatment. It's like the stickers that you get on like tank models or airplane models or World War II airplane models, you know, that they sort of become one with the model when you put them on. It's that sort of a thing. Anyway, they're really nice and it has it's just a nice little game. 
Um, but I don't know if this would have been nominated. As I said, it's quite challenging to handle five things at once, five scores at once, um, I think, for people that aren't regular gamers. But this game also comes with uh, like sort of family scoring modes. It just has one way to score all different animals, like they're all the same. And if you have kids or, or family members that aren't fully into games, I would do that one first. I th- it, it sort of makes everything you take good and everything you take scorable. Um, it's just it, they all score in the same way. So, so yeah, you could check that out. I think that helps. I think a lot of games now that want to be nominated make sure they have sort of advanced mode and family mode in the box so that you can play it how you want. Um. But yeah, that's Cascadia. I thought it was, I enjoyed it much, much more than I thought I would, to be honest. And that's from looking at reviews, from looking at photos, from reading the rules. I was like, meh. But when I actually played it, there's no real interaction. There's no real, um, there's no take that unless someone takes something you wanted by mistake or something. Just really smooth, really nice, really pretty, great, simple package. I really liked it. Um, the other, oh, Lafardo. I usually, well, last time I started doing my Lafardo method of, of rating games. So I guess I should do that here. So Lafardo. So Lafardo. Yes, I said that. So that's look and feel, adaptability, replayability. Uh, what's the L? Adaptability, replayability. Look and feel. That's LAF. Luff. R, adaptability, like can play multiple players, replayability. What's L? D is um, design and O is overall. What is L? I've forgotten what L is. Lafardo, likability, longevity, lastability, Lego, Lafardo. Oh, my gosh. I could stop and edit this, but that's not my way. I think I just have to deal with it. I don't know what that is. I'm just going to look at one paper I've got over here. This is like a staff meeting right here in front of you. But if I can't see Lafardo on this paper, which I can't even find now, guess what? You're not getting Lafardo. You're getting Lafardo. Lafardo is probably better. Anyway, here it is. Learning hump. That's what it stood for? L is learning hump? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Let's go for this. Okay, Lafardo, look and feel. Okay, that's why I was, oh, you idiot. That's why I was talking about how the game looked a minute ago. Duh, I'm really on, off today. I apologize. So look and feel. I give this like an 8.5 out of 10. There's not a lot you could do here. It's a very sparsely component-wise game, but what they've done is great. The cover's beautiful. The card art's beautiful. The cards are nice and big. The hex tiles. You know, there's no detail really on them, but you can tell from a distance if they're what terrain type. The animal pieces are beautiful. The, but the acorns, or whatever they're called, they're just cardboard chits. They could be nicer, I guess, plastic, but whatever. 8.5, I'm happy with it. It's great. It's not the best game I've ever seen, but it's a great quality production. Done. Shut up. Look and feel done. Okay, adaptability, which is like... um. Is it good in multiple player accounts? So this plays one, two. Oh gosh, don't tell me. I can't. Where's the now I've got to get up again. Where's the box? What what is the play? Forget it. I'm on the internet, I think. 
So BG <laughs> Cascadia. How many players does this play to? Come on. I, I, it, now the internet's not working. This better be recording, though. BGG Cascadia. Come on, search. Yes, thank you. Okay, it's four. You know what? It's funny. On BGG, Cascadia is like the number one ranked um, abstract game right now. So users say this is an abstract game. They voted it as an abstract Okay, it feels a bit like an abstract game, but if this is an abstract game, 99% of the games on board GameGeek are an abstract game. Just saying. Okay, but anyway, who cares? It's one to four players, right? Okay, <laughs> done. That that was a long time to get that out. I have played it solo. I've played it at all player counts, I think. Solo, yes, I have. So solo is um it's fine. Like it it's just like the normal game sort of the scoring's a bit different because you don't have competition for sizes and that, but it's fine. Like I wouldn't buy this for a solo experience unless you were really into it and you just want to have it and you don't have anyone else to play it, obviously, but um, get it fine. But for me, it's best at two to four players, but really the um, adaptability for this is practically 10. Like I might say 9.5, like I've loved it at all player counts. It doesn't really affect anything. It, it's just that at three, four players, it takes longer, but the turns are still just as quick as they are. The game takes like 20, 30 minutes, depending on how many players you've got. It's not that big a difference. And because we're not, we're competing for everything pretty much individually, it doesn't really matter um, how many more players are playing. So I love it at, at all player counts. I'll just say 9.5 because I don't know, solo's a bit fine. It's just get this score, then get the next score. I will say, that there are like in the back of the rule book, like scenarios they're put in there or like they've tried to make a story like levels to go through. I haven't really bothered with that. It's like, it doubles like the length of the rule book and I'm not sure I really need narrative in my abstract games, but some people might. Anyway, I'll give it a 9.5 for adaptability. Replayability, at the moment it's a nine for me. Like every time I play it, because of those variety and scoring cards, I find it interesting and a nice little challenge. But I, I suspect over time that will go down just because there's not a lot going on. So once I've played it over a dozen times, I think it will still be in my collection because I think it's very good with a wide variety of people, wide variety of settings, and it's just really smooth and easy to teach. I could teach this to pretty much anyone. Um, hopefully they'd like it too. But I think I will get less interested as the years go by, but for now it's definitely a solid nine. Okay, what was it? Learning hump. I, like I'm going to say nine again. It's not quite a 10 because the rule book seems to be a bit verbose and long. I, I think like this should be in, you know, mass media, mass market shops. But for that really, that person who buys Connect4 and Battleship and then, if they were to move to Cascadia, I think they'd think this is huge. What is going Like they just want a one-page rule book. And I think this could have had that, but it just goes on and on a bit. I think they could have made the set rules being that family scoring mode and then have those cards as as a variant to make each game super more complicated and, and, and variable. But whatever, that's just my taste. But this is my show, so take it. So that's a nine. Overall design, I'm giving it, 
like the design this is really rude i'm giving it a seven just because there's nothing really amazing or new here there's so many tile lane games but but this is just sweet nice calm well done but it's not gonna very few people will play this and go that is totally unique and amazing and blew my mind how did they ever design that it's just that they've hit upon a great recipe and it's a lovely dish overall currently this is an eight for me eight out of ten um which seems a bit weird having given it 8.59.599 and seven eight is not the average but it's my show i just at the moment i love it it's an eight out of ten for me and everyone i've played it with this is so cliche everyone i've played it with has loved it but uh we'll see we'll see how how it sticks around but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it even goes up higher. Like for me, this could be up there with like a ticket to ride as an all-time great Spiel des Jahres game. But but for now, it's just eight out of ten for me. I love it. I'm going to keep it. I think it's great. But it's not in my top ten games of all time. I guess that's what an eight out of ten means for me right now. That's Cascadia. All right. So I talked about. Cascadia and I've promised you two reviews and now I regret it because I talked about Cascadia as long as I talk about a bigger game. So I'll make this one quick. Scout is a very small box card game. It's it's put out by Oink Games right now. Um, it's public. Uh, its designer's name is Kay Kajino and um, this really blew up, I think, although I didn't know about it for a while. But I mean, I knew people talk about it, but like out there in the board game arena but i hadn't seen it or anything yet um i'm really glad for oint games that they finally got some recognition for their cute little games but um what is it so so this game it's funny that the, the, the blurb on the on this game is something like you have suddenly become the owner of a circus it's like what how does that happen like even if you like you, you would know it was coming right oh, i'm gonna inherit this circus or something i don't know why it's suddenly but Okay, we're, we've suddenly fallen into this circus job and um, all we've got to do is scout for new acts. And what this game is is simply, I think, 45 cards with numbers 1 to 10, though you'll take out some for um, different player counts. But um, what's cool, though, is that they have two numbers on them and you have to flip them over to get the other number. So on the top it might be a 6 and on the other side it might be an 8. So what you do is you get your hand of cards at the start of the round and then you decide, am I going to have them up this way or flip them over? And that's the only time you can do that. You cannot really fiddle with, you can't fiddle with the order of the cards, just that orientation, like doing them north or south side up. Um, why? What's the difference? Well, what you're trying to do, it's a ladder climbing game, which is similar to trick-taking games, but instead of like best trick wins or trump cards and all that stuff, you've got to go higher than the person before you each time. In this game, from memory, you can only do straights and cards of the same number. If someone plays, say, two fives, I can beat that with two sixes, but I can also beat it with three fives or five twos. You know, you've got to go bigger in either number or size. A straight also beats a, you know, two, three, four of a kind, it's just got to be the same or more cards in that straight. So on your turn, you either scout, show, or scout and show, which sounds really weird, right? But so show means play a hand of cards. Why is this? A sh because 
the number cards also say this is a juggler named Pedro. So you're showing your circus or something. So show, you can show a hand of cards, a flop, flop some cards out. Scout means you can uh, take one of the cards from the show that's already out, but you have to take from the leftmost or rightmost card only. Then you can put it in your hand wherever you want in any orientation you want. Because something I forgot to say was that show, when you show cards, they have to be connected in your hand. You can't rearrange your hand, right? So you're trying to take cards out so that other things will mix and match and merge together. But anyway, so you can scout, which is take cards. But if you do, by the way, you give the person who put that show down a token to say they get a point. Thank you for the card. Here's a point. So you can show, you can scout, or you can scout and show, which is do both things at once. But you can only you scout then show, but you can only do that once per round. And you have a little token you flip over so you remember that. Um, basically, when someone goes out, they have no cards left, the hand ends. And any cards left in your hand, you lose those as points. So a five is minus five points. But you also gain points for any cards uh, that you won by showing better than. So if someone played two fives and I played three fives, I take their two fives face down as one point each. And you also get a point for all the scout tokens you've been given from people taking cards from your stuff. Um, and then you play like three, four rounds, depending on how many people are playing. Okay, so very simple, right? The The cool rub of this game is the hand management of I, I can't rearrange my cards like bonanza and all that stuff but i also can choose am i having them this orientation or that orientation so that's nice it's a cool gimmick that works really well um it's a pretty looking game it's a simple game it's like oink if you know their games it fits in that small box it really reminded me of you know the 90s 2000s all those great great card games that came out through companies like amigo or you know, even just recent years, they've still been doing it, but it was a much bigger thing, like Amigo, even Abacus, uh, what else, um, NSV uh, from Germany. They've just put out great little card games, and one of them usually gets nominated. Often it does, like Llama, The Game, you know, Hanabi. So so here we go again, and it's it's a great game of that ilk. It really feels like a classic, how did they come up with this? It's so simple but so great game. Um, but let's go to Lafaldo. So look and feel. This game gets an eight for me. It's it's got the great minimalist style of Oink games, but part of me wishes it actually looked like a circus. You know, like this actually is a juggler when I put it down. But that's just a small thing. Um, it's hard to put everything back in the box if that cares if that bugs you as well. There's a lot of little tokens. So eight. Look and feel is done. Okay, adaptability. So this is for two to five players. It feels really different at the different player counts. That's not a bad thing, but it's something. And I have to admit, I haven't played it two player because it's a totally different, well, it's another set of rules. I don't know how different it is, but often when I see that, I'm like, no, nah, I'm not learning a whole new game just so I can play this game with that play account. Like I sort of want to play it the purest way. I don't want to play it the way that's been tacked on. At least that's how it feels. No offense to the designer. You know, if it was me, I'd try and make it fit work with two as well, but I just haven't played it. Maybe it's great. So I, I think that it's better with more players, uh, but it's not bad at three. 
the reason why three is a bit strange is because at three, like a three of a kind or a straight of four is practically unbeatable. Like I didn't say if you can also win, you can win when your cards are gone or you finish the round when your cards are gone, but you've probably won, but scoring that happens. But you can also end the game if you show a set or a flop of cards and it gets back to you. No one beats it. Then the game also, the round also ends. And in a three-player game, that happens regularly because if I play, say, a, a four-card straight or a four of a kind, the next person can't beat that, say, so they scout a card off it. The next person can't beat that, so they scout a card off it, and it's back to me. But in a five-player game, if that happens, by the time it gets round, you know, it's down to a one-card or two-card pair. Someone can easily beat it. So it's more likely at higher players that the rounds will last longer and that players will run out of cards, which I think is more where the game shines, but that's just me. So I'm giving that a 7 out of 10. Replayability is really high, 9 out of 10. If you like card games, this is just fantastic. It, it takes 5 to 15 minutes to play, depending on how many players you got and how well they know it. It's, it's just something you can easily pop out and play again and again and again, I think. Um, what was it? Learning Hump. I'm giving that an 8 just because it's a bit obtuse. Um, the first time you play, you're going to be like, what is it? What am I doing? How do I? What? And that's fun to solve and see the game blossom on the table and, you know, your mind clicks and like, oh, I get it. Um, but when you first play it, it is a bit weird and it's a bit hard when you read the rules. It's a bit like you scout or show or scout and show. Things like that, it's like, give us a different word. I'm a bit confused. <laughs> That's just me. Design, this is getting a nine. I just think it's a terrific game that could be considered a classic in years to come. We'll see. But it's just... If this was invented in the 1800s, people, and it could have been, people would still be playing it today, I think. Maybe it's missed its shot. Maybe card games aren't as big as they used to be. But it, it's just a really, it feels like a really classic game. Overall, I'm giving this game a 7.5 right now. And that's just partly because, to be honest, uh this is a bit unfair, but I sort of consider it against Cascadia because they were both nominated for this build as Yaras. They were both up against each other, and I just like Cascadia more, so I sort of feel like this can't get as good as that an eight. Is that fair? Probably not. I also don't feel it's going to get as much playtime from me and the people I play with, which is sad because, as I said, I think it's a classic game. But I just think card games are harder to get to the table. Um and it's a bit weird and wonky to teach. Once you get it, you get it. I just don't – I don't know the people that are going to play this much, but if you have a group that loves card games, I would definitely recommend it. And you might be like, well, why are you rating it based on people you know? Well, I sort of rate games based on how much fun they are and how much I, I enjoy them, not so much how good they are. So, like, that's my design, like this design rate. So in Lafardo, the D, this got a 9 out of 10. So you can take that and go, gee, he thinks this is a great game, and it is. But it's a 7.5, which is still a great score overall. But for me, it's like fun. I, I, I just, It's not on the table every night when a 9 out of 10 would be if I had people here to play. You know, So that's, that's how it is, I guess. So 
Right. So I'm just going to end this um, review time with a news portion. Breaking news. So they announced the Spiel des Jahres last night. The winner is Cascadia. Um, congratulations. Um, that's why, you know, no, that's not why anything. It's a bit annoying. Like I used to be so full on into the awards and I'd watch the streaming, but it used to be on like at six, seven o'clock at night for me. And now it's on like when I'm asleep. So I don't know why they changed that. Thanks so much, Germany. No, it's because they wanted a good time for them. But uh, it was a bad time for me. But congratulations to Cascadia. So in my show, I like to talk about or highlight three games that you may not know or you may love or you may have forgotten about that have something in similar with the game I reviewed. And while Scout would be fun to riff off of because I could say my three favorite small card games, which would be great fun, that's a whole, I could talk about that for ages. So we'll leave that for another day. What we'll do is um, three games that have variable scoring, end game scoring cards or tiles. Um, I, 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 I'm back. Sorry, what, what happened there? Um, but what I'll do is three, yeah, so three games like Cascadia that have end games different. You can, well, talk a variety of ways to score, but they change game to game. And this really makes the same game feel different. It sort of makes it feel like there's an expansion happening each time you play oh i'm all over the place today sorry so there's one big one i'm not going to refer to because i'll talk about that later you'll see the first one i want to talk about is terra mystica this is a huge heavy board game um that came out maybe eight nine years ago 2012 2012 so 10 years ago it's sort of been replaced by gaia project which is its redo version two but you can still get Terra Mystica, and, and I just love it. Um, it's a really classic wood piece type thing. And it was one of the games that really popularized. I've got my own board with bits on it, and when I put those bits on the big board, I unlock new things. Um, but I'm not here to talk about that. Basically what Terra Mystica does is each at the beginning of the game, you put out these random tiles that tell you how you're going to score at the end of each round. And the order these come out and what ones even come out really determine or push you in a certain direction if you want to score the points. Uh, that means that each game feels different. I really, really like that. It's not as common in a heavier Euro game because I think people like to strategize more and and improve each game and, and nut it out. But it does it really well here. And because you've got advan uh, advance notice of these coming out, you can you know, go for one of them over another or try and hit all of them, which is pretty hard, but it's cool. So that's Terra Mystica. Another one I wanted to talk about is Carpe Diem, which is a midweight Euro game from Stefan Feld, which came out in 2018. This has a really cool way to score at the end of each round um, and game where t scoring cards are laid out in a grid and depending on player order, which is super important, at the end of each round, each player chooses where to put a token betwixt or between two of these cards and you're going to score those two cards. Um, if you can't, you get negative points, but basically you've blocked that spot off for the whole game. So this this real tension of um, 
oh, I want to score those cards, but if he goes before me, I won't get to choose them. And if he does, oh, he didn't, I'm okay. So I said, oh, I forgot I can't score. Oh, nah. So that's really cool. Very different way of doing it again. And the third one is that I'll highlight is different again, again, again. This is a really light, simple, small box, although it's in a big box, card game called Point Salad by Molly Johnson, Robert Melvin, and Sean Stankowicz. Love that name. From AEG. Point Salad is simply, you're just taking cards each round, but on the back of each card is a scoring condition, and on the front is a type of vegetable, I think. So um, you can decide to either take what's face up or face down on each turn, and those will change. But Basically, what you're doing is you're you're taking cards that you hope will score you points, but to score those points, you need to take vegetables. So you might take a card that will, gives you a point for every lettuce, but then you might get a point a card that gives you points for pairs of lettuces and tomatoes. And then, wow, lettuces are really good for you to pick up. And but because every game you're getting different scoring cards and different amounts of them, even though all you're doing is taking cards on your turn, each game feels really different and. It's really cool to look for those combos. It's an interesting one because the card, the variable scoring is is sort of uh, progressively becoming apparent as the game goes. You don't know certain cards are going to come out for you to use as the scoring cards. Um, you can't predict and you have to really fly by the seat of your pants, which I've never done, but it sounds sort of embarrassing. <laughs> Welcome to David's Game Show, starring me, the producer, as your host. Today, I have some questions to ask the contestants, and whoever answers the questions right mostly will get a prize. Our contestants today are David from David's Game Show and Uncle Craig. All right, are we ready? Yes, just... So wait, if I answer the most right, I get the prize. Yep. Okay, here we go. Question one. Fingers on buzzers. I don't have a buzzer. Do you have a buzzer, Uncle Craig? Uh, no, I, I don't. Well, that's okay. I didn't think of that. Anyway, okay, so just whoever answers first correctly wins. Okay, here you go. Question number one. What do you get... When you cook lots of sausages. A tummy ache. No. Grease. Yep, that's right. Now, David, if you eat a lot of sausages, you might get a tummy ache. I said cook. Oh, you did. Sorry. So, so the answer is grease. Okay, question two. That's one point, Uncle Craig. Question two. What can you cook things in so they don't stick? Butter. No. Yes, you can. I just cooked, I just did that. Nope. Oh, uh, grease. That is the correct answer. But hang on, butter would work too. Yep, but I said grease was the answer. So Uncle Craig has two from two. Ugh. Question three. What drips from between Uncle Craig's neck? Grease? Yes, you got it right, you got one right. Wow, so it's two to one. <laughs> All right, so there's one more question. Wait, so I can't win? That's right. Well, you should have had an odd number of questions so that I would have 
I just that anyway. Okay. So what if it was a tie? What would you? Okay, it could be a tie, right? Yes. Do you having trouble with your words today? Spit them out. All right. Question number four. Where was Alexander the Great born? Greece. No. Yes, it was. No. But look, just because the other three questions were the answer was Greece, doesn't mean Greece is the answer here. But I think he was born in Greece. Nope. I think it was Macedonia, like north of Greece. Or North Greece. Yeah, but it's Macedonia. Like it's, I think it's even called North Macedonia now. So like it's not Greece. But he was Greek. The answer, look, look, he maybe he was Greek, but he wasn't Greece. Greece is the wrong answer. The correct answer was Macedonia. Wait, why'd you give us the answer? Uncle Craig could it get it? Well, he won anyway. Two to one, he won. He gets the money. What money? The money I found over in the corner. Wow, so I've got a big topic to cover today. My favorite Spiel des Jahres winners of all time. Why is it big? Because I think from my count, there have been 44 winners of this prestigious award, which I talked about ad nauseum last episode, I think. There have been 44 winners and I have played 36 of them, including every winner since 2000. So it's a, it's a big list for me. And I was just going to do a top 10. I thought a top 36 would take forever, but I couldn't leave some games out. So I'm doing a top 15, a quick, I'll do it as quick as I can. Sorry. I'm not saying I'm boring, but I'm assuming I am. So, um, and then I'm not talking about 21 of them, but, but though I, I've pretty much liked all of them that they're really in my sort of favorite zone of complexity and, and uh, depth as far as board games go. But but anyway, let's talk about my top 15, okay? You ready for it? Yep, I don't have any music, nothing. So um, let's just start. Number 15 for me is Catan. Um, a lot's been said about this, Settlers of Catan, uh, but it I think it came out in 1995, and without this game, we wouldn't have the board game uh, community hobby as it is today. This game really put German-style games on the map. It blew the doors open in regards to what was possible in a board game. It made people all over the world start playing and designing games in a, at a level that had never been done before, really. I mean, I'm just exaggerating there, but I think it's pretty true. I'm not going to talk about how it plays. It's a shame it's best. It's Well, it's a three- to four-player game, but which is quite narrow, but... It's got everything. It's got uh, resource management. It's got um, negotiation, route building. It, it's got a great arc to it. It's a really great game. It's got a great variable setup as well. That's one of the things that first blew me away about it. Um, it's down on the list because I hardly ever get to see it or play it anymore. So it mustn't be as good for me as I think it is. But there you go. Settlers of Catan. Number 14 was the winner in um, 2017, I think, King Domino. Um, this is by Bruno Cathala and Blue Orange Games. Sorry, I should say Catan. Uh, Catan was 95, and that is from Klaus Teuber and originally Cosmos. Uh, still is in Germany, I think. I don't know. Maybe it's not. 
yeah, it's not. I don't think. Anyway, King Domino. It's 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 funny. Um, Bruno Cathal is one of the best known designers out there, but I heard in an interview that it wasn't until King Domino that Bruno Cathal became a full time game designer, and that's amazing. With in a way, because he's got so many great designs out there, but it shows you how hard it is to make a living from from royalties unless you get a big hit. And a Spiel des Jahres winner is usually a big hit. Um, so I finally won one. Now, King Domino is basically a domino laying game. Like you're making a kingdom in front of you with a with rectangle yellow pieces that have a different terrain type on each end. And you're scoring basically your groups of, of terrain. But the cool thing about it is the player order. Um, you have to really plan ahead and take the tile that you want, but sometimes the tile you want will mean you'll go later in turn order next time to pick the next one. So there's a bit of a juggle there. There's some nice variants as well. This was higher for me, but King Domino Origins is a newer title, which is really King Domino, the best version ever. It's just great. So I'm not going to play King Domino vanilla much anymore, I don't think, but it's a great family weight, simple, simple game. Uh, number 13, I've got it as, I think it's called Top Secret Spies. Uh, no, it's called Undercover, my version. It was also called Top Secret Spies. Its most famous name is Heimlich & Co., but that's a weird name in English, I think. But this is a game, um, this was in the 90s. This Actually, no, this was in the 80s, wasn't it? 86 from Wolfgang Kramer, who's won more Spiel des Jahres than anyone else, I think. This was... Uh, a roll. This is a roll and write. A uh, roll and write. A roll and move game. But there were some really great roll and move games in the eighties, um, in in like um, Germany and that. Uh, this game, you can move any piece. So everybody has a piece on the board, but people don't know whose is whose. And when you roll, you can move whoever you want. Um, and you want to win this sort of game, but if you put yourself out too far people know that that piece is you and so they will do bad things to it um you can lose points you can um you know stuff happens as you go around that my favorite way to play is the variant where you've also got to deduce whose piece is whose so it's not just when the game ends who's got the most points on the track that wins but you add on games for being the best detectives as well um, I haven't explained that very well, but I've got to move on. It's a really great roll and move game. You can probably still get it. Number 12 is Azul. Um, the top four selling games of the 21st century are all on my list. Um, this is one of them. And and it's number 12 because I think I prefer some of the other Azuls in the series better than the original now. But it's a really sweet design where you're taking pieces from a general area, um, you're taking all of one color from a group and any that aren't taken go into the middle to make another group and blah, blah, blah. People listening to this show have probably played it. But it's a beautifully produced game. It's a really great abstract game. There's, it's nice in that you can play it really cutthroat or just really casual. Um, it's really pretty. It's really quick, smooth. I'll play it any day. That's Azul. Number 11. Oh, that was from 2018, I think. And it's from Michael Keesling, who's won many Spiel des Jahres as well. 11 is Pictures. Uh, this one in 2020 from Daniela and Christian Storr and P.D. Villag. 
Um, dare I say, this is well different for PD Valag. They usually do games like Concordia and heavier games, but this is a party game where basically there's a grid of cards of different photos on the table and there are five different items or, or collections of items that you take turns trying to build that object with or represent that object with like string or stones and wooden sticks and 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 colored blocks and all sorts of things and then people guess on uh, what they think you've made and then after each round you rotate those building objects around and it it's just as simple as it sounds, but it's really fun. It's one of those party games where you laugh, you cry, like, what did you do? That is not that. Yes, it is, I swear. Oh, I see it now. It's really funny and fun. There's an expansion that's come out recently that adds more things to play with, which I'm dying to get. But I, I wish the cards had more variety in them, but it, it's just I love this game. It's called Pictures. That's number 11. Number 10 is this year's winner, Cascadia 2022, Randy Flynn and Flat Out Games. Um, I've talked about that a lot already. For now, it's just a really smooth, fun game for me, and it's definitely in my top 10 Spielders Yara's winners of all time. And I said before, you know, it's the first time, and then I stopped myself. What I meant was it's the first time in many years where an actual board game has won the the prize. Um Azul and King Domino are sort of board games, but they're really more tile-laying games. You have to go back to, say, 2014 with Camel Up and to get another traditional board game. So there you go, Cascadia. Number nine is the winner from last year, Micro Macro Crime City. They've put out a couple more since then, different Micro Macros which is good because they're finite games. You can only play it about 16 times and you've done all the cases in the box, but that's still a great 16 plays. This was the only game my oldest son played with me last year, I think. He really enjoyed the Wes Wally detective mashup, which is what this is. You've got a huge drawing of a city and then there's 16 cases in the box and you read through the cards. They lead you along this uh, set of clues and you've got to solve a crime based on what you see in the big map but it's a great teamwork experience I recommend it it's just really fun it's really clever is probably the great describer of that one number eight my eighth favorite Spiel des Jahres winner of all time as of today is Turn and Taxis this is from 2006 2006 from Andreas Seyfarth, he's the designer of uh, Puerto Rico, right? And his wife, Karen Seyfarth. And this is the first um, Spiel des Jahres winner that I remember being aware of as a Spiel des Jahres winner. Like this is back when I started caring about anything. Uh, but this is not considered very popular, at least anymore. People consider it super dry. It's a game about delivering letters in 18th, hundreds in Germany or something like that but I just really loved the mechanics especially at the time but because it was such a hit for me then it stayed with me but I think it would be hard for modern gamers who hadn't played it or played games 15 years ago to uh, enjoy it a lot I don't know that's just a feeling I have it's a bit weird it's very unique in how it works you're trying to claim roots through Germany but not in a very clear, visible, streamlined way as in like a ticket to ride. It, it's quite obtuse. 
but I really enjoy it. And it can be really quick, especially with people that know what they're doing. The expansions for it are fantastic as well. They really, really mix it up. So that's turn and taxes. Uh, number seven for me is Camel Up, which I mentioned before. This is from 2014 from Stefan Bogan and Eggert Spiel. And a new version came out a couple of years ago, which looks fantastic. New art, new components. I checked that out. They did change the rules a little bit. So that's why I was hesitant to buy. I want to try first. But the original Camel Up, and I have the expansion too, which is great fun, is a really zany race game. And when it first came out, people hated on it because they were like, this is not a race game. I have no control. They are right. The race happens by itself. What you are in control of is how you're going to bet on the camels that are racing and how you're going to try and manipulate the race so that your bets pay off. On your turn, you either roll a dice that tells you how far a camel's going to move and they stack up if they land on the same place, you either, or you're going to play a tile that can send camels backward or forward if they land on it, or you're going to choose um, your prediction for who's going to win the leg or win the whole race, or you're going to, um, you know, I think that's about it. And, and it's really cool. And, of course, the earlier you bet correctly, the better you do. Just really, there's a lot of stand-up dice roll moments. Oh, man, I sound like a real podcast when I say that. But, like, sometimes you roll it like, is it going to be a three? It's going to, it is a three. He won. Well, woo. It's just silly fun. It's really fun. Camel up. Number six is Villa Paletti. <laughs> yes, the game that beat Puerto Rico. That was in 2002, designed by Bill Payne. Um, this is a dexterity game, a stacking game, sort of like a Jenga game, but it's nothing like that. You've got wooden columns sort of on a on a plate, and you will have to you roll. There's a few different ways to play, but the way I play is you roll the dice and whatever color shows up, you've got to move that color column up a level. And of course, if there's no levels, you, I mean, you can add more levels. So it gets really high, really precarious. And if you knock it over, you lose. But it's so as soon as you play it, people are like, oh, this is way better than Jenga. This is what Jenga should be. And I agree. There's a bit more strategy, a bit more chance to be really clever. It's just a really simple game, but I, I really love it. It's just uh, maybe I'm on my own there, but check out Villa Paletti. Um, actually, there's a newer game called Manara, which takes the same ideas but makes it a much more heavier game, believe it or not, a heavier stacking dexterity game. It's also a co-op, but um, they're both great. But anyway, Villa Paletti is my number six. Number five is Keltus from, is it 2008? Let me just check that. Yes, it is. Reiner Knizia's only win... Um, but I'm actually cheating a bit here. I haven't played Keltus. I've played the rebranded version called Lost Cities, the board game. My understanding is it's the same, just different setting, different art. If it's not exactly the same, forgive me, but that's what I'm talking to. Lost Cities, the board game, got a bit of heat because it's not as good as Lost Cities, the card game, but it's fantastic. Um, on your turn, you, you've sort of got to play cards in ascending or descending. Um, you can't do both in the same expedition, but you can go up or down with your numbers. Um, so like you might play a one first, so you move uh, in yellow. So you move your explorer one space down the yellow track. Then you play a two in yellow, so you can move him again. Then you might play a five. So if you get a three and a four, you can't play them. Sorry, you've missed it. But as you go down the track, 
of each color you get different bonuses that either jump you ahead or let you collect things and the game ends when certain number of explorers have gone certain distance down the paths but it's really challenging because there's a lot of hand management i don't want this card but if i chuck it out the other players can take it and they really want this card so it's gonna have to clog up my hand and hopefully i'll be able to make do with what i've got there's a lot of tension also because the game ends when the players sort of get to the certain points and if you're not doing very well you will lose mega points so you've really got to watch what the other players are doing Number four for me is Dominion, the granddaddy of all deck builders. Gee, I sound like a real podcast, the granddaddy of all deck builders. But this was the first deck building game. This is in 2009 from Donald X. Vaccarino. He's won two Spielders Yaras. Um, it's from Rio Grande Games. Now, I think this is enough in the common knowledge that I don't need to talk about it much. But when I first played it, it absolutely blew me away. It's up there with Carcassonne, Catan. What else? There's been a few games where when I play it, my mind sort of leaked out my ears like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. We played it to death. We played it over and over again. When you're good at it, it takes 10 minutes. It's so variable in its setup. It's so simple, so great. But because there's so much text on the cards and so much variety, when it came out, it was so poorly received apparently by the Spielders Yara's buying public that they started a new award called the Kenner Spiel for experts, which we'll talk about next time. But so Dominion was the last heavy uh, game to win. Um, but it's just fantastic. If you haven't played it, when you play it, you'll probably think I've seen this before, but this came out in 2009 and no one had seen this before. Number three for me is Ticket to Ride, one of the greatest games of all time, one of the biggest sellers of all time. This is a route building game where you're collecting different colors of cards to place trains out on different routes on the board and you're trying to connect cities because of the secret cards you've got that give you points if you do so. Um, there's so many different maps, sets, Quick games, longer games, team games, different continents, countries with different styles and tweaks. It's just a fantastic game system. Number two for me is Carcassonne, one of my favorite games of all time. It's like playing a puzzle that's a game as well as a puzzle. You're trying to put out tiles to make cities, roads, pastures, and monasteries score for you. It's just pure, simple, wonderful beautiful and just like i said with ticket to ride there's so many different sets out there with different ways to play different art different settings i've talked about all these games enough in other shows so and you probably have heard about them but if you'd like to hear more please ask me a question about them my number one favorite spiel des Yaras winner of all time is from 2012 from donald x vaccarino the designer of dominion and its kingdom builder now, I didn't talk about this in my three games that have variable endgame scoring cards because I wanted to talk about it now. But if you like Cascadia's variable setup, Kingdom Builder has it again and again and again. The boards that you play on are all mixy-matchy. That give you different special powers for each game. 
but there's different endgame scoring cards for each game. It's all variable upon variable upon variable. When you add in the many, many, many expansions, it's like umpteenth to the power of billion different ways to play. Simply on your turn, you draw a card. It tells you a terrain type. You've got to play three settlements, three houses in that terrain somewhere on the board connected to each other. But what you're trying to do is manage it so that no matter what card you draw, you'll be able to play something well. And you're trying to score those different cards that are different each time. Maybe you've got to get a whole row. Maybe you've got to get different groups of settlements. Maybe you've got to get settlements on the edge. Maybe you've got to get a majority of settlements in different sections of the board. Each time you play, you get different ways to score, which really changes up what you're trying to do. Man, I love that game. I've got the big box edition. I will play it anywhere, anytime, any clothing, any space. All right. There you go. If I missed off your favorites, I'm sorry. I've played most of them. They've all been great. But those are my top 15 Spielders Yara's winners of all time. So last episode, I said I decided to stop doing a competition. Well done to Murray, who won the final edition of the competition. The competition edition is done. So I thought today I'd change and... um, What I do is I'm going to read you some poetry. I'm going to read you three board game haikus. And if you can guess, see, I'm getting all zen. I'm getting all calm. Thanks to limited syllables. Ah, If you can guess what three games my haikus are talking about, then you win the competition. So let's do it. Actually, let's put on some nice music as I read them. Some calming music. Okay, here we go. Haiku number one. What game is this? Roll the dice again. Rattle, 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 smack. Annoy the whole room. What haiku is this one? Haiku number two. Draft the animals. Place them on landscape hexes. Oh, that fish is dead. And haiku number three, a game about cats, and that provides for all cats, it gives them a seat. (laughs) Okay, bye. Guess what? I have another Q&A. I cannot believe it. I'm actually starting to get really popular. Now, it is from the same person, right? who's asked like 90% of the questions I've had on this show. But it's a question, right? In fact, he's asked three questions. So I'm now above one question per show average. So thank you, Thermoz, a.k.a. Murray, for your great questions. Here we go. I'm getting real questions. Here come my real answers. Question one, do I have a favorite game mechanic? If yes, What do you think is the best example of this mechanic? Wow, great question. That could be a whole show. I I think I used to, I would have used to have said my favorite mechanic was hand management, which back in my head used to mean like I've got a hand of cards. How and when I play these could really change the game and what I'm doing. But what I really meant was multi-use cards. 
So games that have different, like Glory to Rome's the poster child for that. Poster child, wow, that, that sounds really creepy. I'm not putting kids on posters, but uh, that's not my favorite anymore, I think. I've got two favorite. One is card drafting and one is deck building. I just love these in any game. Any game that has card drafting, and I mean the traditional hand cards around the circle and build your hand, build your deck. I love it. It's really common now. In fact, I just played Cora, this midweight Euro game the other night, and it has drafting in it at the beginning. And it, it wouldn't even be considered one of the main things, but it's in there. It's now everywhere. It's in so many games. Um, but originally it was just in um, Seven Wonders for me and Fairy Tale and, and Sushi Go and all these other, it just exploded. But for me, the game that really signifies um, card drafting for me is still Seven Wonders. I love that game. Also an SD. No, that's a KDJ winner. Um, 2011, I think. Uh, what's it? Antoine Bowser. It, it's a great game. It's really fantastic. Uh, it can play up to seven people. You're drafting cards around building your empire. It's not heaps thematic, but that's never been what I look for in a game anyway. Um, and it's just really fun to pass those cards. I especially like it at lower play accounts, so the cards that I give up might come back to me. Um, you have some knowledge about what people have taken, but not good knowledge. You don't know exactly where the cards are, but gee, it's a great game. And for deck building, my favorite game could be, oh, it's hard to say. I just love, the thing I love about deck building and card drafting is that you get to, to decide the stuff you play with to an extent. It's not like here's 20 things, pick five of them. It's like, here's five, pick one. Here's five, pick one. You know, I just really love that. And then now that I've built that deck or that hand, what am I going to do with it? I think for, oh, you know what? Speaking of heavier card drafting, going back to that, check out Inish. That's a great one. Anyway, deck building, I still love Dominion. But there are games like um, Star Realms that really do it simpler, quicker. Gee, I'm not sure what would be my ultimate deck building game. I like the DC deck building game even. I'm just going to stick with Dominion. It's just pure. But I do love it in the other games that use it just in a more complicated, deeper way, you know, like Great Western Trail and, and so on. But I think I like pure, pristine mechanisms, I think. I don't know. I'm just saying this off the top of my head. But we'll say Dominion. And, I mean, it's got so many expansions, right? Question two. Do you have any other hobbies you enjoy outside of the board game sphere? Thank you. And it is a sphere. Um, I, I guess what do I do besides work and play board games and be with my family? Not much. But... If I get the time, I read. I'm a big reader. My favorite authors are probably Dickens, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and um, what's his name? Oscar Wilde. I think they're my top three. Pretty sure they're my top three. Um, I also love reading graphic novels, comics, but it's all digital now because of money and space. But I was big on comics in the 90s and early 2000s, huge. That was my number one hobby. And then I went away from it for like 10, 15 years, but I'm really enjoying reading stuff. Um, I also like 
my number one hobby actually used to be silent movies. I was a big silent movie buff. But as I got children and they got older, you have less chance to watch things you want to watch at the time you want to watch it. But silent movies, big major thing for me um, still. I could talk about that for ages. Maybe that could be another David's silent show. <laughs> um, is that it? Uh, movie, silent movies, books. I think that's all I'll talk about. Okay, three. His third question, Murray says, do you prefer miniatures or standees? That's a big question, but for me, I'd never really think about it. Like I just choose a game basically based on if I want to play it or not, based on the designer, the mechanics, the reading the rules, watching a playthrough. I don't buy games because of the components. I never think about that. If a game had minis in it or standees, I'd just take it as what it had. I don't really... F I, I sound like I'm trying to skirt some issue like racism. I don't see games in terms of components. But it's sort of true. I, I don't seek out minis or standees. It's something I don't think about. Um, I think... If I got a game with minis, I'd say they look cool, but also annoying because they're all grey and I'm never going to paint them. That's not my thing. So standees, though, I look a bit boring a lot of the time. I just don't play a lot of games, to be honest, with them. Uh, I don't own any game with minis as I look around me that I can think of, but I could. I just I don't know, and that's a really boring answer. I can't think of an answer. It's funny, right? I remember there was a discussion on a podcast a few years ago that stuck in my head because they were like, what's the most thematic game? And one of the people said, Blood Rage. And the other host said, why? And they said, oh, because the minis are great. And it's like, for me, that's not what thematics means. But for some people it is. It's all about the look, the feel, the table presence, they want to make a story come alive on their table and that's a lot easier when, or better or deeper when you've got physical pieces, 3D pieces. So I totally get it. It's just not me. I'm more playing or buying. I'm more buying Euro games, roll and write games, card games, family weight games. And these often don't have minis. But, I mean, like I just got this game Yak, right, from Pretzel Games. Um it's another Asmodee company, whatever, like pretzel games. And, and the components in that are amazing. It's not like I don't like good components. I just played Planet Unknown a few times yesterday, which has a freaking lazy Susan in it. But I just don't sort of seek it out. Sorry. I don't know. I'll stop. So, David, darling, do you think the new game show idea is going to take off? I thought it was fantastic, and I even managed to put some music in the background as you requested. Yeah, it didn't really do it for me, and I had nothing to do with board games. This is not David's Grease show. It's David's game show. Which is why I added a game show. About Grease? Well, that was just the theme for today. It'll have a different theme every time. You know, there'll be a... Uh, uh, I don't know. I'll think of something. Well, with Uncle Craig staring at you every day from the floor over there, it's always going to have something to do with cooking. Probably. Well, it's not a cooking show. It's a game show. Look, again, very confusing. It's not a game show at all, really, is it? 
Come on, tell me the truth. You admit it. I look. I know. I get your point, but it is a game show about. It's a show about games. So call it David Show about games. Stop confusing people. Anyway, how much money did Craig win? Like a five cent coin. It's all I could find. David's David's game show. It's cheap, so use it. <laughs> <laughs>